0: If you want to keep your Bibles open and pull out your outline, there'll be some notes there or some spots you can take some notes throughout. But why don't we pray together and ask God to shape us by His Word. Let's pray. Lord, as we've come together this morning, as we've heard your Word read, we're aware that there's so many things going on in our, in our hearts and in our minds with life. We ask that by your Spirit and through your Word today, you would fix our eyes on what matters. You would help us to see those things, the ups and downs of life, through your eyes. And by your Spirit, you'd send us out of your word today, changed, amazed, joyful at you. Please work by your Spirit in your word in us today. Amen. Well, the majority of us spend lots of our lives trying to find or win or build or buy happiness. And how many times have you heard people say, look, it doesn't matter what you do in life as long as... Are happy? It's the thing that really seems to drive the human condition. We want happiness. We want joy. That's what we want to experience in life. But that tells us that joy and happiness are emotions that we don't always experience. Our joy gets robbed by all sorts of struggles, by the brokenness of the world, by sickness and death, relationships, corruption. And it's not just the things outside of us that rob us from our joy either, is it? It's things within. It's our failure to do what we want to do or to be what we want to be, to live and love as we ought, whether that be ourselves or others. Our joy is robbed. And as we start this new series in the book of Philippians this morning, we're going to see throughout this series a joy that is indestructible. Indestructible joy. That's what we've, we've titled this series, A Joy That Cannot Perish, That Cannot Spoil and Cannot Fade. Like so many of the other things that we seek joy and happiness in provide, this is an indestructible joy. That's why we've titled the series that. And it's our hope over these next eight weeks that your joy will be more and more grounded in that which is indestructible, so that we might stand with a firm foundation. Come with me. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus... To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi including the overseers and deacons grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ He's how Paul opens this letter and at the moment we read this and we find out a little later that Paul is in prison when he's writing this letter not a comfy prison with a few couches and a nice tap to drink from like a not good prison in chains he's probably in Rome around the year AD 61 And he's writing to a bunch of people that he had this special relationship with, a people that he loved, that he met just 10 years earlier. See, Paul and Timothy had been traveling from Jerusalem around the ancient Near East to to the Greek city on their way to Athens, and they stopped at a place called Philippi. Here's a map of where it is. Philippi is up the top there. It's that little most, not Rome, on... That side, it's backwards for me. But the one in the middle, you'll see where it is. You've got Corinth down the bottom, Thessalonica, they're going to pop through there next. And they've come from Jerusalem, where you'll see over this side, they've kind of gone around. And when they've popped into this city, something amazing happens. Come with me, Acts chapter 16, verse 11. You can write it down and read the rest of this story a little later, but we'll read some of it to see what happens when they come to town. Acts sixteen, eleven. "'From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothras, the next day to Neapolis, from there to Philippi, a Roman colony and a leading city of the district of Macedonia. We stayed in that city, Philippi, for several days. On the Sabbath, Saturday, we went out to the city gate by the river, and where they expected to find a place of prayer.' We sat down and spoke to the women gathered there. A God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. After she and her household were baptized, she urged us, If you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. And we find the first convert in the city of Philippi. Uh, She was a God-fearer. That is, she wasn't uh, a Jew, but she didn't believe in the many different gods that existed in the world around her. There's something about the Jewish faith that had brought her in. And then now, she hears this news of Jesus, the promised king, and who he is, and gives her life to him. God draws her to himself. After this, Paul then comes across a girl in Philippi who tells fortunes. You can read about it, Acts 16 and 17. They cast out of her an evil spirit, and all the people get angry. Because this, this girl could predict the future, and it was kind of handy, if you want to know what's happening in the future, to have someone around that could do that. And so they, they literally, this uprising happens, and they throw Paul in prison in Philippi. Uh, and then, so he's in, in Philippi, like, what's going to happen here? There's an earthquake. All the doors of the prison open, and the prison guard is like, that's it, I'm dead. Because all, all the prisoners are going to run out. But Paul calls out and says in the night, look, no, no, we're all still here. The prison guard can't believe it why would they stay and then paul shares the gospel with a prison guard he becomes a christian him and his whole family they they get baptized and trust in jesus and so this church starts in philippi around ad 51 and 52 through paul's relationship through them and the preaching of the gospel nine to ten years later paul is writing this letter to the philippians he's probably been there um, twice maybe three times before after that point But he's writing a letter to the church that started through his ministry. He he saw these people come to trust Jesus. And he's writing from prison to them, and they know that. And there's probably a sense if you were getting a letter from someone in prison, and they're on death row, facing death themselves, that you want to listen to what they have to say. That you want to think, man, this is important. This is what they're writing from prison to me. There's probably a, a sense of urgency and weight to the letter that's coming to them. I'd imagine you'd receive a letter like this a little bit differently from that newsletter from Briscoe's. There's another sale on Thursdays. You're like, yeah, whatever. This, you're like, whoa, I want to know what is going on here. I want to know what Paul has to say. This could be the last thing I hear from this great man who God worked through to bring us to know Jesus. He's this man, Paul, in jail, facing death, writing what could possibly be his last letter to a church he could probably never see again until Jesus returned, and yet He's filled with joy. He's in jail, but he's filled with joy. Look at verse 3 of Philippians 1. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, Philippians, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. Like, what a relationship. You hear that and you're like, ah, there's this deep love that Paul has for this church, for every remembrance of them. I don't give thanks to God for every remembrance of our children. Sorry, guys. There's some remembrances of our kids that I'm like, I want to forget. <laughs> some moments I'm like, that is not good. Paul, here has this great love for this church. I give thanks to God for every remembrance of you. It, 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 it's, it's how he's, he's praying with joy for all you in his every prayer. I hear that and I go... How is it, Paul, you can be so filled with joy, literally happiness, despite the circumstances he's in. How is that possible? How can I experience that sort of joy through the ups and downs of life and the circumstances of life? Well, Paul tells us why he has that joy. Verse 5, Philippians 1, verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The joy Paul feels isn't some fleeting feeling but it's grounded in partnership between Paul and the church at Philippi. They were, they were in something together. They weren't just kind of a case of good friends that liked hanging out that had a similar shared experience. They had a gospel partnership. That's the first point in your outline. There was a gospel partnership. So often in churches today, we look for a church with great community. We want a church where there's lots of friends that, that come together and that kind of hang out together, and there's a good sense of community here. But here is a church that has a deep love for one another. Listen to the way Paul speaks of them. And I wonder if this would be how you'd like to speak of our church. Verse 3, I give thanks to God for every remembrance of you. Verse 7, indeed it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart. You're like, oh. Verse 8, for God is my witness. How deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now I take it that, Jesus loved us so much, he laid down his life for us. Paul's saying, the love Christ has for the church, I love you with. It's Christ's love through me, and it's Christ's love that I'm loving you for, because I, I, want you, I wanted you to come to know Christ, and I want you to remain in Christ. I've got this deep connection with you. And this is deep affection between Paul and these people in Philippi. And I go, I want that too. Not only do I want the joy, I want this community between the church and a church to have this love for one another. But I want you to note... It wasn't a community for community's sake. What caused the deep love and overflowing of joy was their partnership in the gospel together. Look at verse 7 again. You are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. They're not just the people that hang out together or that hung out together once. Remember the days when we hung out? This was more than friendship. It was the partnership that the gospel created. They were in something together. I want to read you the words of uh, David Broughton Knox. He actually ended up being the principal of the college that I went to, but long before I was there. Uh, He was a chaplain in uh, the Second World War, and he talks about the difference between friendship and partnership. Listen to this. And there's a picture of where he was on the screen that will come up. Helps you be in in the scene. I remember how as a young man in my 20s, I witnessed the exhilaration that partnership brings. It was 1944, and I was a chaplain on a ship that took part in the D-Day landings that began the liberation of German-occupied France. We were anchored off Normandy beaches for three months, and the minds of everybody on board was concentrated on one thing, making the op- operation a success. No one considered his own affairs, but all thought only how they could be helping each other in this common task and making it a success. And I remember noting in my mind, i never been happier. When the invasion got well beyond the beachhead, our ship returned to England, and the thoughts of the ship's company were occupied with individual affairs once more, and everyone noticed the difference in the atmosphere on the ship. It still remained quite friendly. It was a well-run ship. But several sailors asked me why we couldn't maintain that old spirit. The answer was simple. During the three months that preceded and followed D-Day, our thoughts had a minimum of self-centeredness to them we all gave ourselves to the activity and the object of our mission. And once the undertaking was over, we all reverted to thinking about our own purposes as we normally do. See, that's the difference between friendship and partnership. You always have friends and acquaintances before and after the mission, but during the mission, there's a single overriding purpose that binds people together, far tighter than any friendship ever could. Friendships Simple, you enjoy one another, you appreciate one another, you hang out together, you want good things for one another, and friendship's good, we need friends, but partnership is different. It's not opposed to friendship, it's just far more powerful. Partnership is when we have a common mission. So Paul speaks of his love for the saints in Philippi, and he says that they are partners together with him in the mission of the gospel. Paul calls them partners, both in his imprisonment. He's in prison now in Rome, but he's got partners in Philippi praying for him, supporting him, sending him the things that he needs and praying for the gospel to keep going out. And they've been partners and are still partners in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. The mission's still going on. While Paul isn't with them, he's he's gone out from them to see the gospel keep going out and they're praying for him, they've sent him, they're with him. In the same way as we think through sending out others from us, like Lachlan and Candy, we're partnering together for this gospel mission of seeing people come to know Jesus and grow in Him. They were 110% committed to the very thing that captivated the Philippians when Paul and Timothy first came through 10 years earlier. They were partners in the news of Jesus, that Jesus was God's Son, that He really did die in their place that he rose again, proving that he is God's promised king who offers life after death and who is in control of all things now and all who trust in him have life forever. That news, that gospel, so captivated every person in Philippi that was in this church, that Paul could say, I think of every remembrance of you with joy for we are partners in the gospel. We are in this together, still slogging away, praying away, serving away. Friends, church, is not a community based on our common interests in Jesus. That's a club. We're partners together in God's mission. We're part of this local body where together we're seeing the defense of the gospel, holding out the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done, the establishment of the gospel, reaching out to new areas of Auckland, new neighbors from our houses, new parts of the country, new parts of the world. It's this task, the establishment and defense of the gospel that centers our partnership and that produces an indestructible joy. Because despite the hardships, despite the beatings, despite the imprisonment and the suffering, Paul can still speak with joy about this because of their partnership in a gospel that lasts. Because, and this is point number two, which is an extra point, I forgot to put it in your outlines. You can write down gospel security. There you go, gospel security. They've got this joy because of the security the gospel provides. Verse 6. I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you hear that? Here's this church in Philippi. Paul's in prison. There's a sense we're like, we're with you, Paul. We're behind you. We want to see the news of Jesus go out. But there's a sense where what will happen if Paul dies? And I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you, it's not me, it's not Paul, <laughs> it's Christ Jesus. That he, because he started this work, will carry it on until the day to completion, until the day that Jesus returns. Paul was certain that God's rescue mission for those that he brought to himself would be successful. And as Paul spoke, those first words of Jesus to those in Philippi ten years earlier, God was at work. And God starts, what God starts, he finishes. What God starts, he finishes. Paul's certain that those who trusted in Jesus will remain in Jesus until the day Jesus returns, and so he's joyful. He's responding, going, this is great. Keep going. I'm so happy for this partnership that we have. The outcome of this partnership is secure because of the one who secured us in Jesus. The battle's won. Jesus died in our place. He's risen again, defeating death, securing new life now, and by his Spirit, he's enlisting you and I and the Philippians in this gospel partnership for the defense and the confirmation of the gospel while we wait for his return. friend. sometimes life feels like we're at war. We're at war with ourselves and our own brokenness and rebelliousness and with the world around us. What we hear here is that the war is already won. Oh, It's not over, but it's already won. Satan, though he's been defeated, is still trying to take out as many people as he can and bring people down with him to say, no, don't trust Jesus, just, you don't need that, just come and have life, find happiness in other areas. And it's like those that God has called to be partners with him are on the deck of a battleship, proclaiming the news that the war is won to the world around, rescuing those sinking in the waters to say, trust in Jesus, come on board Jesus, see what he has done for you. And while we're doing that, Satan is taking pot shots, taking people out on the deck of the ship. No, the war has been won. And that gives us the security to, with joy, face the ups and downs of life. This gospel security, when we grasp it, when we understand the task of each being given the partnership that we're in, and we understand who has called us into that partnership, that brings indestructible joy. That shapes our relationships with one another as well. That we are all partners. That we are, who trust in Jesus, partners in this gospel. Look around. Look, look at one another. It's a little bit awkward. We look odd. I look odd, but you've got to look at me the whole time. Look around. And, and you know, if I wasn't as corny, I'd be like, we could do the, the Western thing. Howdy, partner. Like, you know? Okay. <laughs> but we are partners. Partners in the gospel together. That means that we will love and care and protect and serve with those that God has gathered us together with. Life and death is on the line for those around us. For us, we need to keep trusting Jesus. For the world around us, Satan is trying to take you and me and everyone out. And the way that God has kept us and will keep us in Christ is by the partnership of loving and caring and speaking the word of God to one another. We get to be part of God's solution hope you see the joy of serving together. Have you experienced the joy of gospel partnership? Satan cannot win. My future is secure. The message I have is hope for the world. I want to serve him with everything I am and everything I have. Gospel community is not a right for the church that we come along and consume. I want good community in my church. Tick. It's something that we experience by actively partnering in gospel mission. I need to ask us, are there relationships that we need to stop bickering about because we're partners in the gospel? Perhaps we need to spend more time partnering together and less time kind of nitpicking about this and that, and he did this and she did that, and think through, we're at war You see someone walking out of the trenches and going, I'm just going to walk off this way and trust something else. You don't go, oh, it's your problem. You're like, sit back down. They're taking us out. Come back here. You don't go, oh, I don't like your shoe color. (laughs) We're at war. One thing that struck me recently, we went on holidays um, last week, the first week of the holidays, uh, and I noticed when our car was stopped in traffic, everyone in the car goes crazy. Everyone's like, ah, and there's all these problems going on, and like, he did this, she looked at me, and that was just Sarah and I, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then when we but when we start moving somewhere and, we, and we're going along, it's like, oh, it's all right, we're moving, we're going, we're in this, we're getting to holidays, we've got a purpose, a direction. So it is in the church. Sometimes we're kind of stuck, not, not doing anything, not serving. We're like, I don't like this, I don't like that. The answer isn't to fix all of our problems. Jesus will do that when he comes back. <laughs> The answer is let's get on with what we're doing. Let's partner together. Forgive one another as we as we are forgiven. And think through this gospel partnership that Paul talks about that he has with the Philippian church and they have with one another. Because of the gospel security and gospel partnership Paul has, he prays for gospel priorities, gospel priorities for the Philippian church. He starts the letter describing himself and Timothy as slaves of Christ Jesus. Well, the word there says servants, but it's actually slaves. That Paul and Timothy and who they are and what they are about are, are slaves. They are at the total disposal of their master. Use me any way you want. I am yours, Lord. You've, Jesus died for me. He has risen again. I am yours. They don't write into Philippi and write this letter writing on any kind of um, privileged position. You know, I'm an apostle. Or, I've got my church planter badge on. Look at me. You need to treat me specially. They go, no, no, I'm here because of Jesus. I'm here because of him. My identity is tied to him. He is their king. And their life is wholly and completely his, slaves of Christ Jesus. And as they write to the church at Philippi, they include the overseers and the deacons. They don't just write, okay, all you you churchlings down there, you've got to do this. But your leaders, they don't need to get their hands dirty. They're not part of this gospel partnership. No, there's this reality that we're all in this together. He writes, including the overseers and the deacons. We're all under the one gospel. There's no one above it, there's no one that doesn't need it. There's no special priorities for some of the leaders. So Paul holds out these special gospel priorities for the whole of the church. And he sets the priority for every Christian How do I find indestructible joy? What is that like? How do I prioritize my life to live this way? Well, listen to what Paul prays for in the priorities for the Philippian church. Verse 9. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you might approve the things that are superior and be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Paul prays that their love will grow in knowledge and every kind of discernment. Now, most of us, when we hear about love, we want to grow in love. Who doesn't want to be more lovable, more lovely? Like, we think they're good words. We want to grow in love, and we love to be loved. right? I love it when people love me. And we get that, even as Christians, because Jesus loved us, so we ought to love others. But notice here, it's not the love Paul wants to grow But he wants the love to grow in knowledge and discernment. He wants the love the church has to grow in knowledge and discernment. How often do you hear the phrase, you know, you just got to love. All you need is love, right? And we think, yes, that's right. But the problem is, very rarely do we hear what love looks like or how we ought to love. I could love you by doing whatever I want, by thinking this way or doing that thing. and Well, I'm loving you uh, by, you know using my Australian customs of just being rude to everyone and arrogant. You know, that, that could be, that's how I'm trying to love you. No, we need to know what love is and how we are to love. And Paul's prayer is that the Philippians would have gospel priorities as their love grows in knowledge and discernment. Knowing the life and love of Jesus shapes how we love. That's why the Apostle John says in 1 John 4, God's love was revealed among us in this way. He sent His one and only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Paul prays that they will know Jesus. It's not merely knowing about Jesus, but knowing Him, in relationship with Him. He's been revealed to the Philippians and and to us through those who preach the gospel to us, through this apostolic Word of God, through the apostles. So Paul prays that their love would grow in every kind of discernment that, that they and we might know how to love. To love God's way, to live God's way, being shaped by the knowledge of our Lord. Look at the result of this growth in knowledge and every kind of discernment. Verse 10. He prays this so that you might approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. Paul's desire, this priority for this gospel community formed and shaped by the gospel is that they might live rightly. Sometimes we get so caught up on knowing the right terms about God, understanding the the form and the structure with which God communicates how to live and what we ought to do and, and the beauty and the language of the gospel and the way that the word comes to us, and they're all good things. But we stop there and we miss what God desires. It's not just right knowing but a knowledge that transforms into right living. Right knowing should lead us to right living. Understanding God's word is vital. Do not hear me wrongly. But we must not stop there and just understand about it. Knowing about God is not our goal. No, responding to him, him shape and change us is the goal. Right knowing and right living are related, but different exercises. And if our knowing doesn't transfer into living, then we don't really know God or His love. We just know about Him at a distance. Living with indestructible joy is to live day by day, asking God to shape and mold you, that your love might grow in knowledge and discernment, so you might approve the things that are superior, so you might live according to God's way, the best way, the way you were made to live. And be pure and blameless on the day of Christ. That is Paul's prayer for them and Paul's prayer for us. So that on the day Jesus comes back, we don't just kind of go, oh, you trusted Jesus and that was it and you never moved since, you're a stunted Christian. No, but you've grown and matured to be more and more like Jesus. Sometimes it seems like as Christians, we want enough of this gospel to make us happy, but... Not so much that we really love our enemies and learn to hate sin. We love the gospel and its power to save us, but we pull back from anything that requires self-denial or the idea of sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom, especially when my comfort and security are on the line. We so desire to be parts of communities that are broad-minded and full of forgiveness, but when it comes to us forgiving others, oh, we don't want to go there. That's not for me, not for today. We want the gospel to make me and my family secure and my my children well-behaved, but we shudder at the thoughts of the gospel redirecting my ambitions and making them larger and and growing my giving. We love generosity, but we shy away from real sacrifice. We, We want joy, but we don't like repentance. We want transcendence to experience God, but we don't want him to change us. We want to be in God's presence, but not be changed by it. Paul's prayer for the Philippian church and for you and me here today is that we experience the indestructible joy of being shaped by gospel priorities, of being changed into Christ's likeness of focusing our lives on what is superior, God's way, His way, Jesus as King, and what will enable you and I to be pure and blameless on the day Jesus returns. It got me thinking, if I were to list the priorities of my life, the kind of principles that that determine what I do and how I live, the the ones that that shape my decision, how much of my priorities and what I'm aiming for and what I want to do with my life is focused on what God says is superior? When I think through what matters most and what is good, is that shaped by the gospel? Is that shaped by the word of God? Is my likes and desires and mine aligned with the creator of the universe who has loved me and died for me and risen again? Again? I'm honest, for me, sometimes yes, but it's nowhere near enough. I too often arrive at a place of settled complacency, where I'm like, yeah, I know we need to grow in that, but now I've got permission to move on because I know it, <laughs> and I don't let God's word shape me or change me. I'm too often happy with being half-baked in my thinking, in my actions. I don't just seek what is superior, what is the best way, what would, what would Jesus have done here? How would God have me live here? in my prayer life, in my desire to know God's love, to to partner with Him for His kingdom and His glory. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm I'm so thankful for His work in me and through me so far, the sin that He is killing and the, the selfishness that He brings to light. But let's be honest, there's so much more to be done, isn't there, in all of us. Paul prays in verse 11 that this church who he loves who he shares this joy with, this gospel partnership, would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Not only is Paul concerned with what's going on inside our hearts, but also what comes out of them. Gospel partnership, gospel growth, gospel security, they evidence themselves in gospel fruitfulness. That, that God's work in us, transforms how we act and how we live. And if it starts with him and continues by him and is attributed totally to him, but it's what we are to work toward. It's part of the undestructible, indestructible joy of partnering in the gospel. God working in me and through me, through his word, by his spirit that I might produce fruit, visible fruit in the here and now that maybe the world around doesn't see that looks fruitful, it might look silly to the world around that I, that I give away money for the spread of the... that I support people going out from our church to other places. But in the end, people standing firm in Christ for eternity? Oh, that matters. Are you asking God to make you more like Jesus at the end of each day than you were at the start of each day? Are you asking God to make you more like Jesus at the end of each year than you were at the start of each year? How are you asking God to grow you How are you asking God to grow me and one another? Well, Paul models this in his gospel prayers. This passage convicted me this week. Do my priorities lead me to gospel prayers for myself and gospel prayers for others? Imagine if I prayed in line with God's gospel priorities for my life and the lives of others, that I might love the things that are superior, that that, that result in me being pure and blameless and others being pure and blameless on the last day. That's what I ought to be praying more. God's the one that's going to do the work. We should be asking him to do it and asking him to shape each of us. Maybe you are. Well done. Thank you. Imagine if I actually asked the other partners God's called me together here with, how, how I could be praying for them in specific areas to move their eyes from the impure to the pure, From knowledge about God to actually knowing God. From right doctrine to right living. Imagine if I actually shared what I was stumbling with and the struggles that we have. Imagine if we did that as a church. How good it would be. The humility from going, I haven't got it sorted. And we do to to a degree, but we need to keep doing that. We need to be a church that, that shares how we are going because we're partners in the gospel. No good pretending there's nothing wrong when you're in the trenches at war and you've got a leg that's half been blown off. You need help. You need to call out to God and to one another. We need to be supporting each other, praying for one another, encouraging one another, holding out the word of God to one another. Not in some idealistic way of you need to do this, but I'm with you, brother. I'm with you, sister. Let's keep going. Jesus is one. We're partners in this. How can I help you keep serving him? How can you help me to be more like Jesus? It makes me ask, how is your prayer life going? How are you going at praying that God would make you pure and blameless on that last day? Are you being real with God and with others? Are you taking seriously the call to pray with gospel priorities? Because friends, all of this, this gospel partnership, this gospel security, the gospel priorities and prayers, they all lead to what we, what we exist for, where we find our, our great joy and that's the glory of the gospel. To last point in your outline, Paul prays all of this, so that the Philippian church and us might be chapter one verse eleven, to the glory and praise of God. Indestructible joy of the gospel comes from recognizing we exist for the glory and praise of God. That's why we exist. That's what we're here for. Settling for anything or anyone else will not satisfy. It will not last. It will not be fulfilling. It will not give us true joy and happiness. And it will not render us pure and blameless on the day Jesus returns. If you're here thinking through the things of God and trying to work out how does this Christianity fit together and what is this for me? Jesus is calling you to come and put him as king. Yes, there's sacrifice, but the joy is indestructible cannot be taken from you, you will spend an eternity with him and the partnership you are being called into to serve Jesus, the one who made you and loves you, is amazing. Living for the king who's already won the battle, asking the king to keep growing your love in knowledge and every kind of discernment, to live with gospel priorities, that makes God look good. Not because we need to make God look better than he is, he doesn't need dressing up or me to say, look, God, you, you know, let me just straighten your jacket here, iron out your shirt a bit, I'll make you look a little bit better. No, no, no. Because it shows that he can work through schmucks like you and me. He takes broken people like us and says, you know what, I'm making them to be more and more in the image of Christ. And that makes God look good. That's why we exist. It's why this Philippian church exists. That's why Auckland EV exists that we might point to God, live for Him, so in the end, God looks good as He makes us more and more like Jesus and spreads the news of this gospel across this city, this country, and the globe. So friends, as you fix your eyes on this gospel, this news of Jesus, on the security that comes with it and the priorities we are to have because of it, as you partner and pray for His praise and glory, indestructible joy will be yours. Joy that lasts, that transcends the ups and downs of life. Joy that is yours because of the work of God in what we call the gospel. And over the next seven weeks, Paul's going to outline how we do that, what that looks like, how we are to live out this way, trusting in our God. Surely the only right response as we hear this message is to join Paul and pray with him for exactly these things. So why don't we pray? Lord God, we are so thankful that you've spoken to us through your word, that you've not left us in our brokenness and rebellion and sin. But you've reached out and showed us the news of Jesus' death in our place. You've caused us to trust in you and bring us into partnership with you and partnership with one another as a church here today. We ask that you would fix our eyes on this gospel. You'd show us the indestructible joy that comes From placing our hope in you and serving you, and so partnering together for the sake of the kingdom. Show us where we can serve, just using the gifts you've made us, the way you've made us for your glory. Give us a sense of that security that comes because you who started this work will bring it through to completion. Align us with your priorities in the the defense and the establishment of the gospel, in in gospel partnership. Align us with, with our finances, with our energies, with our gifts. Lord, we exist totally for you. And so this day, we give our lives to you again to say, take us, use us, mold us for your kingdom. Help us, Lord, to be pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness. Help us to love your way, to know you, not just about you, but to know you, and for that, to shape the way that we live and change us day by day, into the likeness of your son and help us to walk alongside others as you do that in them too. We pray this, Lord, for your glory, that this church would exist so that the world and the rulers and the authorities around would say, wow, how amazing is God. We love you and we serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.